Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you I do not know, my name is Mike. It's an honor to welcome you here to North Star for week four of our Tensions series. So I want you to do me a favor. Go ahead and take your Bibles. Turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 18. I'll let you get ahead a little bit. If you got your little sermon note sheet, that's the easiest way to follow along or the app. It's probably the best way. Uh, the app, North Star Church, Georgia, in the app store has all the blanks in there, all the stuff. If you got your physical Bible, I'll let you get over there. We'll be in Luke 18, verse 9. You know, it's been a week of highs and lows in a lot of ways. Um, last Sunday, packed here, Compass Theater. Those of you in uh, True North Chapel watching at, at 9.30 and 11, or the 11 o'clock specifically now, and those watching online, I got a note last week. This lady, Jenny, that uh, Larry was just talking about hosting here in Compass, Got a note from Jenny and Scott in Omaha, Nebraska, and she gave her life to Christ, and she got to tell me her story last week. Isn't that awesome? That was really, really cool. So had a little conversation with her and heard her story, and then Sunday night, we had our very first small group of the year, so I host, and I host a coach's couple small group. This is for anybody that coaches for a living, meaning they are in... Uh, the academic world and they coach, right? And so they're some in high school, some are in college. And you're like, what's the difference between that and a rec coach? Well, these people can get fired because a 16-year-old broke up with their girlfriend. All right. And so these are the that's what they put their lives in the hands of kids. And they have to sit in the bleachers and listen to people yell at their spouse. People here write cards about me, but nobody yells at me. All right. And so it's a special group. We had 17 couples last Sunday night at our house. It was amazing. I stood at the end of my driveway. I looked back at all the cars. The, the uh, kitchen was packed and you're like, man, God is up to something big in our schools. And then this week hits, right? I get a call yesterday morning early that one of my teammates who watches every week from Charlotte. We played together at Liberty's and my coach's Zoom every Monday. He's won 16 state championships. This guy's a legend, the Hall of Fame in the state of North Carolina, but he, he uh, went home to be with Jesus early yesterday morning uh, to cancer. And so uh, I had to talk to his wife and son yesterday. And then we all watched the news out of Memphis, right? Uh, the Tyree Nichols situation and what happened there. And I had so many law enforcement friends reach out to me this week and they were just broken over what happened in Memphis. It was awful. And I, I asked one of them, I said, what are your, they said, Mike, it's just evil. You can't hide evil and our hearts are broken. And I know today we join as a church family, the, this precious family in Memphis and let's just say this, everybody, we need Jesus. Can we agree with that? We need Jesus in this world. And um, so let's just take a second, would you? Let's just pause right where you are. And thank the Lord for the highs of your week. And pray for those that have walked through the lows of a week. Pray for that Nichols family, would you? Hmm. Pray for the men and women that are trying to do right and they get lumped in with all that aren't. Law enforcement. Jesus, we need you. And we definitely need to hear from you this morning. So speak to us and do your work in our lives. And it's in your name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. You know, we, we've talked every week about 
tension. So I want you to write this little definition down. If it's your first week, you can write it down. If you're here every week, you've heard it every week. Some things in life are not problems to be solved. They're tensions to be managed. Tensions are not bad. Actually, tension can be a good thing. Grace works. We know scripturally we are saved by what? Grace. So at 14 years old, I asked Jesus in my heart. I reached that point of going, I can't do this. Jesus, I need you. And I believe that day at 14 in Fayetteville, Georgia, he stepped out of heaven and the Holy Spirit took a residence in my heart and I became a Christ follower. But here's what happened to me as a believer. I became about list and checklist and works. And there were days God was really, really happy with me. And there were days that God was really, really mad at me. And there were days that God went, well, Mike, you are woo And then there's days that you're like, Mike, I don't know why I put you on the team, right? And so I was highs and lows. I was, and, and here's the deal. I grew up in church. It was so I was never not a part of church. I had a drug problem growing up. I was drugged on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, so I didn't have a choice. Well, I get saved at 14, and then I go to a Christian college. I'm a part of a phenomenal youth group, go to a Christian university. It was amazing. And I'm a youth pastor, and I'm struggling with this tension of grace and works because I was a performer. Anybody that's ever been in, we talked about this in small group last Sunday night. Anybody that's ever been in the world of athletics, you get on the field because you perform. You leave the field because you don't perform. You get on the field when you do what the coach asks you to do. You get off the field when you aren't able to live up to the standard that team says. That's just the way athletics works. The problem with that is it's not how God works, right? And so I struggle with that. I was 20 three years old, taking my kids to a youth camp at uh, Jekyll Island, Georgia. And so I, had a, I knew I was going to hear a speaker named Dave Busby. And so Dave was like the hot guy of the day. I had one of his sermons on cassette tape. Can I get an amen? You know what I'm talking about. And so you guys don't understand. But anyways, I'll talk to my adults over here. And so a cassette tape, and I'm driving around. I'm driving around 285. And Dave asked this question. If Jesus were to stand toe-to-toe, knee-to-knee, and eye-to-eye with you, what would he think right now? The very first thought that came to my brain was, he would be disappointed in me. That's the very first thought. Because... Ann and I were married, and there was probably, I was letting her down as a husband, and I probably hadn't had my quiet time that morning, and I wasn't good enough as a youth pastor, and all the stuff. He would be disappointed. It's the very first third, very first thing. I was saved by grace, but somewhere along the way, I became about the checklist I had to perform. Does that make sense to everybody? And I remember Dave, and I'm on literally on 285, which you take your life in your hands. Anyway, so, but I'm on 285, and I remember Dave going, if he were to stand toe-to-toe, knee-to-knee, and eye-to-eye with you, you know what he would say? I love you. Because he doesn't love us for what we do. He loves us for who we are. 
Powerful. Changed my life. That's 23. I was exhausted living in this tension of grace and works. For some of you, you walked in today and you are not a believer. You go, I'm kicking the tires. Somebody invited me. A friend told me about it, a child brought me, or my grandmother keeps asking me if I'm going to church and I just want to tell her yes. And so whatever reason you got in the room today, you're kicking the tires of faith and you go, can I ever be enough for God? Because my mother taught me nothing in life is ever free. And grace is free. And this is something I got to earn. There's a tension there. Jesus knew the tension. And here's what I love about Jesus. He walked into the tension. And he would tell stories. They were called parables. And these stories told a truth that he wanted people to get. So he would tell extremes. He would tell something really, really big over here, and then he would tell something really, really big over here. So you would go, oh, I, I get it. I see what he's doing. So he tells a parable to a group of religious leaders and his disciples that puts you and me in it. Luke chapter 18, would you stand with me today in honor of reading God's word together? If at any point I am saying something you're not reading, just look up. We'll chat about it. We'll keep moving. Here we go. True and false righteousness are on a display in this story. Then Jesus told this story, this is great, this is who it's directed to, to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness. Meaning, I have earned God's favor and I am good enough. That's who he's telling the story to. He's telling the story to these religious leaders that are all over here. They had confidence in their own righteousness and they scorned everyone else, meaning nobody else measured up to them. Nobody was as good as them. Two men went to the temple to pray, all right? So we think, all right, everybody look at me. We think, well, I'm gonna go to the church and pray. We drive up, we pray, and we go home. That wasn't how it worked then. You had to go up the stairs, you had to go through the rituals, you had to go through the cleansing, you had to go through the sacrifices, you had to walk through the incense before you even got in the room. All right, so there's a lot of work went into this prayer time, okay? So two men went in and they went up to the temple to pray. Two guys, they're contrasting. One was a who, what does it say? Pharisee. They were the good guys back then. They were the good guys. They were the guys. Everybody went, oh, yeah, the Pharisees are very, very religious people. And the other was a despised tax collector. Like when he said tax collector, it's like, boo. All right, they're bad people, right? They are thieves and scoundrels. They're Jewish people who work for the Romans, and they rip off people. That's who tax collectors were. And the Pharisee stood by himself. So they're in the temple and the Pharisee separates himself. He didn't want it near anybody else. Basically, scripture, the, the commentators, they said he took a very showy position there because he wanted everybody to look at him and go, wow, he's like super religious. 
He is like, have you ever prayed around somebody before and they use like really big words? You're like, wow, they're really smart, right? Spiritually, I feel like a dumb prayer. They're like really smart prayers. Y'all ever been around people like this? He stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. This is phenomenal. Jesus weaves such a great story. I thank you, God, that I'm not like the other people. Cheaters, sinners, and adulterers. And I'm certainly not like the tax collector. This is a great prayer. God loves these prayers, doesn't he? And so he's just ripping people while he's praying. This is great. I fast twice a week. Not that wasn't required, but he threw that in there. And I give a tenth of my income. I got a, a, a fast, meaning I, I give up food so I can spend time with you, and I give away all my money. Is fasting bad, yes or no? No. Is giving money to the church bad, yes or no? Well, good answer. All right, so, right moving on. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. And he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow. Oh, God, be merciful to me. This is powerful. For I am a what? I don't even deserve to be here. In anguish, he beat his chest and go, he said, I, I don't even deserve to be in this room. Jesus said, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before the Lord, meaning in right standing before the Lord. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this area that Jesus was teaching in, there is a tension between grace and works. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Before you're seated, I want you to turn around. This is very spiritual. You need to ask, Bengals or Chiefs? All right, I don't care who it is, but you go ahead and do that real quick. <clears throat> All right, here we go. So... It's a tough one. This is free. This is earned. How in the world would we turn our back on something free and figure that there's a God in heaven that makes me earn it? How's that happen? And how does it happen that I can come to know Jesus and then forget it was free and begin to earn it. It's the weirdest thing. How does that happen? Three ways. First little blank there in your outline. Comparison. Comparison. We live in a world of comparison. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Reels on Instagram, TikTok. We, we, we look at what other people have and don't have, and we just live in a world of comparison. It's just the way that it is. Their house looks nicer. Their house doesn't look as nice. My car is nicer. My car's not as nice. Their vacation's better than my vacation. Their food is better than my food. That's just something their kids act nicer than my kids. I mean, those are all things that we do. 
Look how happy they are in that picture. What we don't know is what happened before the picture, but they look really happy in the picture. And we just live in a world, we just do it. We live in a world of comparison. Maybe you're on MySpace and you're like, I look happier because you're the only one there. All right, and so you need to leave MySpace, whatever you're on. You, you get where I'm going. It's comparison. I've compared myself to you. I have judged some of you. I've looked at your life and I've judged you. And I've said the words, I will never be like that. And I got married. Shortly thereafter, we had two children. And I said at one time in my life, I will never drive a minivan. Guess what ended up in my driveway? <laughs> there was a point in my life I had two minivans. That's bad, all right? And so some of you would post pictures with animals. And I would like, I'll never, I will never post a picture of an animal in my family picture and then this happens and I don't know what happened but somehow Buck jumped up in Ann's arms and now he's in our family Thanksgiving picture forever and I judge you and that's not even like a manly dog right and so Buck is like 13 pounds of gruesome meanness all right is right there how many of y'all have little dogs at home? Raise your hand. They're mean little suckers, aren't they? Can we agree with that? So let me tell you, this is a funny story, funny story. So my vet goes here, he'll vouch for the story. I was new there, we had just started going there and Buck wasn't feeling well, so I had to carry him to the vet and I pulled up and I couldn't get him out of the car. Like he kept trying to bite me. When I was getting him out of the car, I'd reach in there, he was just snapping at me. I couldn't get him out of the car. He's 13 pounds, but I mean, he's rough, all right? And so I couldn't get him out of the car, so I went and asked for a muzzle. I went and asked for it. I couldn't do it. And so finally the vet, and they don't know me at all, the, the ladies at the front didn't know me. And so I think in their minds, I had like a German shepherd. I don't know what they thought, and there are Doberman or whatever. And so I remember like Kirk, the, the, the vet came walking through, and they're like, hey, sir, uh, Dr. Underwood, the, this man can't get his dog out of his car. And so, and of course he knows. And so he goes out and comes walking in with that, and all the ladies they judged me, all right? They did, they judged me, and they made fun of me right in that moment. We compare, don't we? Comparison's a real thing. And here's what we make sure and do spiritually. We never compare ourselves to people that are better than us. We always compare ourselves to people worse than us. I'm doing better than them. I'm nicer than them. I care about people more than them. I go to church more than they do. I give more than they do. And all of a sudden, we put spirituality on a scale in comparison. Here's what we don't do. We don't compare ourselves to Jesus and go, I come up short. If this is perfection, I'm on oh, my best day, I'm going to be over here comparison. That's what the Pharisee was doing. He was saying, God, you hear my prayers because I'm an adulterer. I'm not a tax collector. I'm not a sinner. No thought of grace. Only the thought of God's scales of justice. We compare. And here's the crazy part. You can get saved and meet Jesus and get right back to comparing yourself to other people. 
Ladies and gentlemen, here's the part I want you to get. Your, I want you to write this down under number one. Your standard is Jesus. And you ain't ever living up to that standard. You're not, I'm not. On my best day, I'm not even close. On my best day, comparison, it gets us. This guy stood there and judged everybody else and said, at least I'm not like those people. And listen, we can get there spiritually. You know what has happened to me the longer I know Jesus? I figure it out now the less I know. And I don't have time to judge you because I got a mess in me to take care of. Does that make sense to everybody? You ever been judged by somebody? You ever walked in a place and thought, they're judging me here. Right? They're looking at me funny here. Comparison. Second thing that gets us is a checklist. We love, oh, we love a checklist. Some of you, the greatest thing I could do to set you free in 2023 is give you a list of the things God wants you to do and give you a list of the things you shouldn't go do. You would love it. It would make your life so much easier. This side pleases God. This side God despises. We love a checklist. I read my Bible. Check. I prayed. Two seconds. Check. I went to church. Check. I gave my money. Check. I joined a small group. Check. All those things are going to make me better for God than the other things. This is really cheap, so it didn't do this on its own. So anyways, it makes me better. Checklist. We love a checklist. Here's the problem. Grace doesn't have a checklist. It's the part I want you to get. If you did all those things, which were all great things, if you did all those things, God would love you no more than he does right now when you don't do any of them. He loves you as much today as he's ever going to love you, period. When it goes from a checklist to living in grace, all right, let me ask you a question. Is reading your Bible a good thing? Yes. Doing Digging Deeper, it's wonderful. Is joining a small group a good thing? I would tell you, you're missing out on, on what the, the richness of the Christian life is if you don't go to a small group. But when I do it because I want to, not because I have to, all of a sudden, it's like all the light bulbs start coming on and going, I don't do it so God loves me more. Listen to me. I do all those things so I can learn to love him more. It's like, oh, so it's not about, no, no, no. You can't live up to the standard. You can't. Mike, I think I can. Well, you're prideful. You can't, all right? And so it's just impossible. It takes grace. Have to's, ought to's, and grace become want to's. I live sent, not so God will check it off and say, well, my, I'm so proud of Mike today. Woo, pat on the rear of that boy. He's really performing well for me. No, no, no. I do it because I don't want people to miss heaven. 
I talk about Jesus in a bullpen and a sideline because I want these kids to know heaven's a real place. It's hard. Have you been in athletics? I'm telling you, you love to know what does the coach want for me to do to perform. I was at a first pitch dinner last night at a college. I'll be at a first pitch dinner this coming Friday night. And all those athletes sitting in the room, I was one of them at one time. And they're all going, I want to get on the field. What's coach want from me? Checklist. Ephesians. Paul says this. Check this out. God saved you by his what? What's it say? God saved you here because of his grace when you believed. His grace was real even when you didn't believe it. But for some of us, we sit in rooms like this and it's like, oh my gosh. I remember when I was 14, when all this, it's like, whoa. Oh, so this is for me. And you can't take credit it's a gift. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so nobody can boast. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I'm not saved because of good works. I am saved for them. He left me here to live them out to point people to Jesus. Does that make sense to everybody? It's huge. Mike, this is so simple. Yeah, it's so simple. You'll spend the rest of your life trying to figure it out. You are not gonna get to heaven and go, look what I deserve. That ain't gonna happen. You're gonna get to heaven and go, why in the world am I here? I do not deserve to be here. I am not here on my own merit. I sat at a table last night Major League Baseball player, current Major League bench coach. Major League Baseball player to my right, Major League manager who appeared in five World Series, winning two of them. As a man, well, one of them is a manager, one of them is a coach, and one of them is a player. On the other side of him is a gentleman who was a um, AL MVP of a, of a, of a series, and me who graduated Liberty with a none of your business ERA. And so it wasn't good. I was out of the table because I performed like that. I was at the table because that's where the coach put me. Does that make sense to everybody? Checklist, we love checklist. Grace has no checklist. Grace has come and loved me and let me love you. Now go live this out. Comparison, checklist, but here's how the tax collector came. Contrite, contrite, repentant. The tax collector knew he didn't deserve to be there. The tax collector knew he had nothing to offer. But for God's grace, that's all he had. And Jesus said, he's the justified one. I'm telling you, some of us in this room today is a liberating day. Today, the shackles of this come off. This is exhausting. I'm good, I'm bad. I'm good, I'm bad. I'm good, I'm bad. 
And we look at the cross and go, I'm good even when I'm bad. I don't ask forgiveness to let God in on what I've done. I ask forgiveness so I will be aware of what I've done. Does that make sense to everybody? I mean, this is huge. It's revolutionary. And God wants you because he wants you. Steve and I, Steve Roach and I were talking earlier this morning about Dave, the guy I told the story about earlier. Remember the first time I took my kids to hear him? We were at Jekyll Island, and I remember Dave, he was in his 40s at this point. He had polio. He contracted polio as a little boy. He had cystic fibrosis at that time. He went home to be with the Lord early, early in life, but was the oldest living man in America at that time with cystic fibrosis. And I remember Dave, he told this story. It was phenomenal. He said, I was 12 years old, and I woke up on a Saturday morning. And on Saturday, in their little neighborhood growing up, was pickup basketball game, and it was for blood. I mean, it was, it was big time. So Dave said, I'm 12, my brother's 16, he's a couple years older than me. I am 12 and about this big, and my shorts barely fit, and I put a tank top on, tank top on and my little arms sticking out of it. But I woke up that Saturday morning, and I felt like a baller. I was going to be a baller. I was going to go out and show the boys what's up. Then he said, I show up at the court, and it's all my brother's friends from high school. High school basketball players, high school athletes. And he said, I'm looking around going, why in the world am I here? And so they shot to get first pick. So everybody got a shot. And Dave said, I remember, I remember dribbling. And I remember sticking my old bony elbow out and shoving it up and it hitting off the rim. And I'm like, that was just, I feel so stupid. I don't belong here. Well, two guys won it and they had to shoot off for first pick. And they stepped back to their imaginary three-point line and his brother drained it. The other guy missed it, and his brother got first pick. And Dave said, they lined us all up on the line under the goal. And this is for all the neighborhood marbles. He said, my brother's got his finger out. I'm thinking, why did I even come? I don't belong with these guys. And he said, I remember my brother's bony finger going down that line. And I still remember Dave telling the story. And Dave said, I remember his finger landed on me. And he said, Dave, I choose you first pick. And Dave said, all I remember was sprinting for my brother as fast as I could and burying my face in my brother's chest and just weeping on his chest. And he put his hand around me and he just kept picking. And Dave said, I knew in that moment he did not pick me because of my talent. He picked me because he loved me. Ladies and gentlemen, the cross says he loves you not because of what you do. He loves you because he chooses to love you. Would you pray with me? There's some of you sitting in a chair this morning in one of our rooms or watching online and your heart is about to come out of your chest. And you know that you don't know. And today you sit in your chair and you go, Jesus, I can't do this without you. I really do believe you live for me. 
And I really do believe you died for me and my sins. And I want you to come into my heart. I have nothing good to offer you but my heart. The quietness of this moment, nobody looking but me. You say, Jesus, I want you to step into my heart today. If that's you and you prayed that prayer with me today, I'm telling you, it is a prayer that changes your life. The Bible says those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If today you prayed that prayer with me for the very first time, would you just slip your hand up right where you are today? Just slip it up and you slip it right back down. And you slip it up and you slip it right back down. Amen. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe today you're here and you were me at 23. And you're vacillating between grace and works. Would you thank him today for loving you like he does? And would you thank him today for his grace?